You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM. This is The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of the Georgia Strait. Charlie, how are you this morning? Oh, very well, thank you. Awesome, and Charlie. You? I'm doing very, <laughs> very well. It's a Friday mood today, so I, I'm doing well, Charlie, as always. Um, so something that I did want to talk to you about is how there are more companies that are going gray in support of Lisa Laflamme. Now, we had Dove earlier this week kind of announce their campaign, but it seems like now there's other companies that are kind of joining in, and I guess I want to call it the bandwagon, but there's a lot of people that are kind of conflicted by this, saying, you know, seems a bit opportunistic, but what do you make of this? situation well i think first of all it shows that ctv has a monumental public relations problem on its hands when major corporations are drawing attention uh, to a decision that uh, they made to replace their chief news correspondent lisa laflamme so you had dove and then the next one to jump in there's there's wendy's um, <laughs> And they, they put out this post on social media um, because a star is a star regardless of hair color. Um, hashtag Lisa LaFlamme, hashtag new profile. <laughs> quite amusing. They've got the Wendy's icon that she has, the little girl with freckles with gray hair. Um, and then uh, you've also got, uh, what was the third one? That, Sports uh, Illustrated. Sports Illustrated yeah. had come in and uh, put a 74-year-old Canadian model who's gray, uh, May Musk, on their cover. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, <laughs> highlighting uh, what they're doing, and no secret that uh, it's about Lisa LaFlamme. The petition online had a target initially of 100,000. It blew by that of signatures. Then it was 150,000. It's now blown by that. Except in the last time I checked, it was about 165,000 signatures. Now they're aiming for 200,000. Um, this, this is a big problem the CTV has. I would not um, want to be their PR person, just saying, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. And they've never said that the decision was made because her hair turned gray. But what was really uh, problematic, as uh, we mentioned last time, was you had... Uh, CTV executive uh, questioning why she went gray and who had approved this, according to the Globe and Mail, and this was Robin Doolittle, a very well-regarded reporter, reported it, but it was an unnamed source, and that kind of lit a match across the country. I had fun with this story yesterday where I put up pictures of uh, Richard Gere and, and George Clooney, and and have a headline that says, and they're both gray, it's okay to be a male silver fox, but try going gray as a female news anchor and you might be in for a rude surprise. <laughs> and then um, one of our, our former writers, he says, you didn't include Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper is obviously yeah. gray as well, and his broadcasting career is, is going well at CNN and on 60 Minutes. So then I dropped in a picture of Anderson Cooper. But the other thing that's very interesting is, is Lloyd Robertson, the former anchor and Lisa LaFlamme's predecessor who was gray and stayed on the job until he was 77, and LaFlamme's only 58. Um, he's now spoken up and said some positive words about her, which has added more momentum to the story. 
Yeah, it's you know, just when you think it's over, it continues. There is a conversation that continues to be had. And I'm in a way, I know a lot of people are very skeptical of these kinds of organizations because they're out there to make their money. But also at the same time, it does really force us to say like, hey, there are certain expectations that are placed on women and men and they're very different. So I think I'm glad it's happening. Well, the other thing, too, is there's such a an uproar and um and it's not going away, and and it makes me wonder: Are they going to have to reinstate her? And 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 the kind of the ham and the sandwich in all of this is Omar Sajidina, who's the been appointed to this position in her place, and it's you know, probably through no fault of his own. Um, he's now seen as as somebody who's taken her job. She's very popular. She won a Canadian Screen Award as the best national news anchor this year, and and I'm, I kind of feel badly for him in terms of what, where this is going, and what it means for him, because the ratings may drop quite sharply when he comes in, and it might not be due to his broadcasting; it might be due to a boycott, particularly among women. How sad. He can't even party just as yet. Uh, Charlie, I wanted to know, I mean, just looking at the developments with the, you know, all the different brands joining in the, on bandwagon, trying to be the voice of, you know, uh, promoting ageism or promoting the fact that you need to own your grace. Do you think it will, and there there has been talks that this could, you know, be, there, there could be a blowback on this and it could, uh, you know, a backfire on them. So do you think it's really good that they're voicing their opinions, showing their support, or do you think they're just kind of making use of the time? Any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, I, I think there's there's obviously some opportunism here. And and let's not kid ourselves. Lisa LaFlamme did have a, a very good run. She's very lucky to get to work in the media for 35 years at CTV, high-profile position. You know, she I'm sure she worked very hard. And you don't want to wish that on anyone, um, but at the same time, the um, for Omar Sajidina, here's a person who is really the first uh, person of color who's become a chief news correspondent, which is a bit of a landmark event in Canada, particularly given our history. And it is 2022, <laughs> and. And it's, it would be a shame if this kind of rather monumental event uh, in broadcasting history in Canada is, is tarnished in a way that if she's reinstated, what message that might send to young people who you know, have similar aspirations. But Omar could, have, could be somebody who um, will be a role model. But at the same time, what CTV did, uh, they really mishandled it. And the fact that corporations are, are trying to capitalize on it, I think, speaks volumes of the incompetence of uh, CTV's um, stick handling of this issue. We haven't heard other things, too, which I would love to know, is what was Lisa LaFlamme paid What's Omar Sachidina being paid? I don't expect we'll hear either of those. And is Omar Sachidina getting paid significantly less than Lisa Laflamme to do the same job? And if so, um, first of all, what's that say about CTV News? And 
and Bell Media, but secondly, what does it say about equality in our country if uh, you know a white person is paid two hundred thousand dollars more a year than than a brown person for doing essentially the same job? So these are other kind of things that are swirling around in my mind right now. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all thinking it, Charlie. So I don't think this story is going to go away. I think we're going to get more updates on it. So let's see what more is going to come out of it. But very fair questions there. Now, another story, Charlie, I was laughing at this. I was kind of amused by it. But Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum, he announced his platform this week. He is launching his re-election campaign. And he plans to build a 60,000-seat stadium in the city. What do you make of this announcement? Well, I think... I think it's kind of uh, highly amusing in a way, but at the same time, if I was living in Syria, I would certainly be worried about the cost, because let's say BC Place is around that capacity, and when they upgraded BC Place, they simply gave it a, a makeover. They didn't actually build it. The makeover cost $535 million. So then you wonder... How much is it going to cost to build a stadium from scratch of uh, that size? And then the other question I have is, why would the Aquilinis, for instance, want to move the Canucks to play in Surrey if they own Rogers Arena and they get all the concession revenue, they get all of the, you know, they can, they can rent the place out for different dates. Maybe they would say, well, we'll go to Surrey with the Canucks. And then uh, we'll call them the Surrey Canucks or whatever. <laughs> but the whole thing is, it sounds a little far-fetched, um, unless the Aquilinis plan on redeveloping BC Place into condos. <laughs> or not BC Place, I mean the, um, the uh, uh, Rogers Arena. BC Place is owned by the government. But the one thing I found which was interesting as I watched the story was the reaction of the different candidates for mayor and I thought Jeannie Sims was the most clever in her response and she made this line that you know Doug McCallum is no Kevin Costner in this field of dreams and that he wants to build if you build it but there's no guarantee they will come and and then the others like Dollywall and um, um, Randall Locke were also critical but they, their response was a little more boring, like like Brenda Locke said on Twitter, maybe you should talk to residents, ask them if they want to fund a boondoggle. You know, a very responsible um, kind of statement that she made, and the same for Dolly Wally's. She's trying to make people forget about the chaos that he's brought to Surrey. But I really thought Jenny Sims had a knack for <laughs> providing a headline in a way. like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and she's done this before with the Pride, where... She was commenting on how um, we need to fly the pride flag over Surrey City Hall, and and I think she's she's just a little better on the sound bites than her competitors. It doesn't necessarily mean she's going to win, and she has an uphill battle. But I've been impressed so far with how she's been campaigning. Yeah, it's been interesting to uh, watch, Charlie, just this whole thing go down. I will be definitely watching Surrey very, very closely, too. And finally, Charlie, it is the weekend, and Taiwan Fest is going on. What do people need to know? Yeah, the Taiwan Fest actually is coming up on the Labor Day weekend, but I did a a big bunch of articles 
this week about it because I, I like to let people know with enough time that they can make plans because it is a big event. And what they do is they have this Dialogues with Asia series. And so every year they spotlight uh, a different country. So one year it's South Korea, one year it's Japan, and the relationship between Taiwan and Japan or Taiwan and South Korea, Taiwan and Hong Kong, Philippines. Well, this year uh, they're doing Malaysia and Indonesia. So there's quite a bit of Indonesian and Malaysian content at this year's Taiwan Fest. And um, one of the people they're bringing to town is um, this uh, woman who, uh, she's Taiwanese and she's learned Arabic and has become quite an expert on Islam, uh, Kai Ching Wong. And so she shatters stereotypes about the Muslim world. And, and one of the things that um, some people don't realize, but Indonesia is actually the largest speaking Muslim country in terms of population. It's 239 million Muslims, or 231 million Muslims, which is about 13% of the world's Muslim population. Um, and so so that's that's one of the things. Another thing, they have an installation. They have migrant fisher, fishers from Indonesia and Taiwan. So the fishers got together with a couple of cultural activists in Taiwan, and they're building this big um, installation, which is going to be on Granville Street over the Labor Day weekend in the 600 block of Granville and showing the lives of the migrant workers in Indonesia, in Taiwan. And some of them face you know, significant discrimination and human trafficking and uh, forced labor when they're out on the high seas. So, so I, I've always liked how Taiwan Fest takes time to highlight uh, social issues in, a, in addition to arts and culture. Very cool, Charlie. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You have oh, a wonderful pleasure. weekend. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.